You're listening to another premier old-time radio program at Pedango.com and also a proud member of the Blueberry community. Another Humphrey Camardella production. Hi, this is Kim Bragg, and up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. Hi everybody, I'm Walden Hughes, and here is Jack Armstrong from January 8th, 1941. Strong, the all-American boy. Wave the pipe for us and high, boys. Show them how we stand. Every shark can be champions. Known throughout the land. Sweeties, breakfast of champions. Bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Hear that? That's old man Winter doing his level best to make you wish you were down in the South Sea, sitting under a palm tree and enjoying the warm sun. But you don't have to let old man Winter lick you, not by a long shot. Wear plenty of good warm clothes and eat the kind of food that'll do a championship job of helping you keep warm even when the thermometer does a power dive. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a hot cook breakfast, not at all. The temperature of the food you eat hasn't a thing to do with the important job of helping you keep warm. If that was all that mattered, a glass of hot water would make a good breakfast. Now, it's the amount of fuel energy units in the food that helps protect you from the cold. So if you prefer those extra satisfying Wheaties flakes for breakfast, there is no reason in the world why you shouldn't go right on enjoying them the whole year around. You see... Wheaties, milk, and fruit make a fuel energy breakfast, a dish that gives you an abundant supply of heat-producing units to help you keep warm. In addition to the fuel energy nature is packed into Wheaties, you also get every bit of the other well-known essential nourishment of choice whole wheat. So if you like a breakfast dish you can eat every morning the whole year round, one that combines a whale of a lot of good bodybuilding nourishment with a swell flavor... Make that breakfast of champions a regular on your breakfast table. And say, why not start tomorrow morning? Just remind Mother to get you two or three packages of Wheaties and your favorite fruit. Add milk or cream to the list, and you've got the makings of a super special breakfast of champions. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Schooner Spindrift has tied up the waterfront of the Philippine town of Zamboango in Mindanao. Uncle Jim has gone ashore to turn over his precious uranium-235 to the safekeeping of the army troops at Credit Barracks. Jack and Billy and Betty and the Filipino Michelle are on the Spindrift packing their hiking equipment for a dangerous trip into the interior to obtain information on the missing Professor Laurie. Right now, however, they are all on deck watching a sailing beam approach. In this beanty is the unprincipled trader Yates and a native Moro. Jack and the others are puzzled as to why Yates is seeking them out. Listen. Gee, Rollickins, Jack. Why in thunder do you imagine Yates is coming over toward us? I don't know, Billy. But we'll certainly find out soon. Look how fast his beanty is skimming over the water. You wouldn't think he'd have nerve enough to look us in the face again after what he tried to do in Calabango. Tried to do? Gee, Monetti, but he just about did do everything he could. First, he betrayed the morals he was living with, and then he tried to wreck our ship and the breakers, and then he stole the dragon's eye ring. You haven't said it all yet, Billy. Don't forget, he trapped you in the quicksand, and he wanted to sick that hungry crocodile on us, too. And after all that, here he is coming to see us. We'll have to keep our eyes open when he's around, Jack. No, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw a hippopotamus. He's coming to us from that Filipino schooner anchored over there, Billy. I wonder if that's his schooner. He's in the trading business, you know. But he didn't have that schooner and caught a bangle, Jack. He must have picked it up since then. Oh, I wish Uncle Jim were here. If Yates is up to some mean trick, Uncle Jim would soon find out about it. 
about it. Oh, of course, we wouldn't find out about it, too, Betty. We haven't got eyes, and we haven't got ears, and we're so dumb. Well, anyway, we've got Michelle. He's our prize secret. What do you mean, Jack? Maybe I didn't tell you, but Michelle can speak the dialect around here. Is that right, Michelle? Can you understand these morals and Visayans and whatnot? Me understand them, Senor Billy, but they not think so. That's where the secret comes in, Billy. Everyone can see that Michelle comes from Manila, way up to the north. He's a Tagalog. And no one here would ever think a Tagalog could speak the local dialect. It's so different. Say, we've got something there. Michelle, don't you ever let them know that you can understand them. Me not, Senor Billy. Me be plenty dumb. Me say, huh? Huh? All time. Yates is getting close, Jack. Now look. He's letting down a sail. He is going to come aboard. We'll let him come aboard, Billy. We'll let him talk all he wants to. Maybe we can find out just what he's doing in Zamboango with that trading schooner. Bendrift! Ahoy! Ahoy there, Yates. What do you want? I just want to say hello. May I come aboard? Do you get that, Betty? He says he just wants to say hello. Jumpin' Jiminy, but he must think we're dumb. All right, Yates, you can come aboard. Wait, I'll throw you a line. Here's the line, Jack. I'll heave it to him. Here's your line, Yates. Watch out. Hey, you're going to bump into the schooner. Well, it won't hurt your schooner. Come on, Ricardo. You come aboard with me. Say, I don't like the looks of Ricardo. He's a moral, isn't he, Jack? He's a moral, all right. You can't mistake those pantaloons in that turban. He's a mean-looking moral, too. Yeah, where's Captain Fairfield? Is he aboard? No, Yates. He's ashore. Now, what's your business? <laughs> Wait a minute there, young fella. You don't have to look so grim and unpleasant. Can't we let bygones be bygones? Jumping crickets. You want us to forget all the things you tried to do to us in Cotabango? Well, that's all over now. You got the best of me, I'll admit it. I don't hold any hard feelings. After all, we white men have to stick together in this wild country of Mindanao. We don't want to stick with you, Yates. I'll say we don't. Now, suppose you tell us just what you want on board the Spindrift. Why, well, I don't want anything especially. Just want to pass the time of day. Uh, who's this Filipino? What's he doing here? This is Michelle. He's part of our crew, if you must know. Uh, comes from Manila, doesn't he? Some part close to Manila. Uh, Michelle, uh, Huh? What you say? What you say, huh? So your friend Michelle doesn't talk the dialect. Too bad. You could use him as an interpreter if he did. You still haven't told us your real reason for coming aboard, Yates. Oh, you're too suspicious, young fella. Uh, didn't I see an army truck leave this dock just a few minutes ago? Maybe you did, Yates. So what? Sort of funny, isn't it, to unload your cargo on an army truck? You haven't anything to do with the army. That's our business, Yates. Well, no use acting uppity about it. I was just wondering... Uh, what did you unload on that truck? You can just keep on wondering, Yates. You're pretty good at that. Oh, it's something you want to keep secret, eh? Well, I'm not interested. It's no business of mine. Suppose I ask a few questions, Yates. I don't mind answering questions. I haven't anything to hide. Is that your trading schooner anchored over there? Why, sure, that's my trading schooner. You didn't have that schooner when we saw you in Cotabango. Uh, what's that to you, Billy Fairfield? Oh, nothing. I was just wondering, too. Well, if you want to know, I'm in a little different form of trading now. I collect stuff up and down the coast and sell it here in Zamboango. Uh, what kind of stuff do you collect, Yates? What's that? What business is it of yours? <laughs> you said you were willing to answer questions, but that question seems to upset you. Upset me? Well, of course it didn't upset me. I don't mind telling you, I haven't anything to hide. I collect and sell spices. Spices? Well, what's so funny about that? Why are you staring at me so? What's so strange about collecting spices? Well, what do you know about that? Spices of all things. Why, isn't that odd, Jack? After what happened in the marketplace to find... Never mind about that, Betty. If Yates says he's trading in spices, then maybe he really is trading in spices. Well, of course I'm trading in spices. Uh, what's that on your belt? Isn't that one of those pedometers some of the soldiers use around here when they go up in the hills? Sure it is. Tell us how far you walk. Well, if you haven't anything to do with the Army, it's mighty queer that you have one of those pedometers on your belt. Those aren't for sale. Why do you want to see how far you walk? We like to walk around and around the deck of the schooner, Yates, and see how many laps to a mile. All right, don't tell me. I'm trying to be friends with you. If you want to be friends, well, that's your lookout. Uh, you mind if I take a look around deck? Go right ahead, Yates. Look all you want. Maybe you can figure out what we loaded on that Army truck. 
Come on, Ricardo. I heard this ship went through a typhoon. Let's see how well it stood it. I don't believe him one bit. He wants to find out something else. Of course he does, Betty. We'll keep an eye on him and try to figure out what he's looking for. Jack, he was certainly interested to know what we put in that army truck. Do you suppose he knows anything about the uranium? I don't believe he does, Billy. If he knew we'd recovered that uranium from the sunken ship, he could have guessed what was in that truck. Jack, wasn't that a funny coincidence that he's trading in spices? I'm wondering if it isn't more than just a coincidence, Betty. That's why I stopped you before you could tell him what happened at the market. I don't want him to know that we found Professor Loring's watch and the wrist of the native who sold spices in the market. Jumping Jimmy, I hadn't thought of that angle of it. Do you suppose he, do you suppose Yates really has something to do with that native? Well, we know one thing, Billy. We know that he sells spices to that man, and we know that man had Professor Loring's watch. But he said he got it from an old moral peddler, Jack. That may be true, Betty. But if there's anything funny about that man at the market, then it certainly looks as though Yates might have something to do with it, too. There's a whole lot that needs explaining. Well, I'll say there is. For one thing, how did Yates get hold of that trading schooner? We know he didn't have it before. And another thing, why is Yates so interested in finding out if we have anything to do with the Army? He's awfully worried about that. And he keeps saying all the time that he hasn't anything to hide. So I just know that he's got a whole lot to hide. Jack, look at Yates. He's trying to open the hatch to the main hole. He's got his nerve. I just assume he didn't know that we have an autogyro airplane stowed down below. Hey, Yates, I didn't say you could open that hatch. Lay off. He's not laying off. He and that moron are trying to force it open with a crowbar. Come on, Billy. Come on, Michelle. We'll put a stop to that. He's trying to get it open before we get there, Jack. He's almost got it open. He won't get it open before we get there, Billy. Hey, bad man, Senor Jack, but we stop him plenty quick. Hey, what's the idea, Yates? I told you to lay off opening that hatch. So you have got something to hide in this ship, eh? Well, I'm going to find out what it is. Open it up, Ricardo. Tell you my cut off Colita. Lay off that, Ricardo. Oh, he's still trying to open it, Jack. Shall we jump over? Just a minute, Billy. Yes, I'll give you one last warning. Tell that Moro to leave that hatch alone and both you and he get off this ship. Tell him yourself, young fella. We'll see if he obeys you. All right, then we're going to throw you off the ship. You and who else? Boy, you don't think we can do it, do you? You don't think that Jack and Michelle and I can do it? Stop talking, oh. Billy. That Moro will have this hatch cover off in a second. Michelle, can you handle the Moro? Uh, me handle him very good, Senor Jack. Good. Billy and I will take care of Yates. Well, I blast your hides. I'll knock your heads together for this. I'll teach you to interfere with me. But go, Jack. Watch him. Take this, you young... There, that boy. I'll oh. give you a tackle. That's it. Where's Michelle? How's he getting on with that Moro, Betty? He chased the Moro back into the Vena, Jack. He took the crowbar from the Moro and chased him back into the Vena. See, he's standing on deck to keep the Moro from coming back aboard. That's great. Let Yates up, Billy. Yeah, I guess he'll leave the ship now. I'll get you for this, Jack Armstrong. I won't forget. I don't care what you don't forget. Will you get back, or shall we throw you overboard? Yeah, I'll get back. But you'd better keep out of my way hereafter, young fellow. Mm, we ought to throw him overboard anyway, just for good measure. I would if it weren't for the sharks. All right, Yates, get back to your Vena. Quick, on the run. Come on, Jack. Let's see that he does shove off. There he goes over the side. <laughs> you must think we'll change our minds and really throw him to the right. sharks. No, Tula, see our car, Salabu. No, punga me, big off. What's he saying to the moral? Uh, I wish I knew. What kind of a shove off? Here comes Michelle. Maybe he could understand him. How about it, Michelle? Do you know what they were saying? Me no, Senor Jack. Yates say we come back later and see if rifles on schooner. Rifles? Why do they think we have any rifles on board? Billy, that gives me an idea. I think I know what Yates is up to. Come on, we're going to see Uncle Jim. Say, Jack really thinks he knows what Yates is up to. And Jack must think it's pretty important, too, because he's going to see Uncle Jim right away. There's something mighty mysterious about Yates and that trading schooner of his. You'll certainly want to follow this through and see what it's all about. So listen in, all of you, at this same time tomorrow for another thrilling episode of the Zamboanga Adventure with Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Look. How would you like to have a standing date every morning with one of the best-tasting breakfast dishes you ever discovered? You would? Okay, then, here's what to do. Ask Mother to get you two or three packages of those extra-good Wheaties flakes the next time she gets the groceries. Then tell her you want a breakfast of champions, that year-round training breakfast of great athletes, every morning. Why, say, once you've tried Wheaties with milk and your favorite fruit, I'm willing to bet you'll be one of our best Wheaties boosters. And I'll bet, too, that you'll agree with millions of other fellas and girls that Wheaties taste like a million. Try them tomorrow morning, won't you?
Have you tried Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all of the bran. This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, breakfast of champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. So just buy Wheaties, the best breakfast food in the land. Wave the Piper Hudson high, boys. Show them how we stand. Ever All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing. Hit party interview with Herb Jeffries.
I said, yes, come on, let me talk to me a minute. So I took took uh, Joe Barry, who was what he called himself at that time, and uh, we walked in the president's office and uh, talked to him for a few minutes. And I said, hey, where are you going this week? He said, I'm going to Philadelphia to see my mother. I said, would you take these two acetates with you and take a listen to him? I think you're going to like this guy. And he took him, put him in his briefcase, and we took off. Tony came down to the to the ship with me, helped me put my bags aboard, and uh, and uh, took off. I went to France. About three months later, when I came back to the United States, I was sitting up in the Sheraton Hotel watching the Milton Berle show, and there was this guy coming on Milton Berle called Tony Bennett. And when I looked up, I saw it was Joe Barry. So obviously, God had Liebeson had heard those records and signed him right away. So, and that's a story that's been, you know, it was written about, and not, it's not anything that's new. Or, and uh, of course, Tony you know, himself talks about it. Let me mention two names here. Uh, Walden has done his research so well; it makes it makes uh, coming to work uh, uh, such a pleasure. Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney. What do you think of when I say those names? Well, <laughs> they're uh, they're uh, members of our of our performing family, and who uh, came out here to Hollywood. In those days, I was out here scrambling around. Um, met Mickey uh, when uh, he was doing Strike Up the Band, Judy at the same time, and of course there was a great drummer uh, out here that Mickey was taking lessons from who was working at my club I owned here in those days I owned a club out here in, in the uh, in the 40s and uh, Mickey used to sneak down and come in and listen to Lee play at my club and then Lee was teaching him drums so he could play and strike up the band Mickey and I got friendly uh, we were we were I'd come out to his house and we'd uh, celebrate he introduced me also to Jackie Cooper Oh, yeah. Who was a, who was an, another wonderful guy, and then of course it was all in pretty much in that age bracket, and then Judy of course God love her she was, and then I had met Judy and her sister before she came out here because they were the Gump sisters, and they had an act together they were playing in the, in Chicago before they came out before they picked her up to to do the picture out here, so I knew Judy all through her whole career and. Uh, she would, when she and her husband would come to France, they always came to visit me at my club in the south of France, and they brought uh, their daughters along with them, too, at the same time. The two lovely girls who finally became great singers and, and, and one became, of course, a very great star, Liza Minnelli. And uh, uh, that, well, she was just a child then when I first said, probably 11, 12 years old, when they brought her to France. And... Um, but I met them, and I kept my friendship with them clear up to now. Occasionally, I will see Mickey and uh, run into him, and we'll chat. But we're both going in two different directions, and so, of course, we don't see each other as much as we'd like to. Racing, you uh, became a pilot and survived a crash. Yes, I did. Tell me about that. Mickey Rooney's plane. Mickey Rooney? You, you, wow. you, you, you wiped out Mickey's plane. Well, we both had the same plane, and we were we we we, we were both docked out there at uh, John Hall and Francis Langford had a flying club out there at uh, at the uh, Clover Field, which is now Santa Monica Airport, and so we both had the same same aircraft, and uh, we parked side by side. We were friends, and so when my plane was being majored, and I was working in Las Vegas. Uh, Mickey came to me. He says, "Well, take my plane." He says, "I'm doing a picture now. I can't. I can't fly it. I just had it majored. And when your plane gets uh, through being majored, um, I'll I'll fly it." So I said, "Okay." So I took his plane and I flew down to to Vegas uh, when I was doing when I was doing my show, and I flew back and forth. And then uh, I got a call from my wife one day telling me that my daughter's first tooth was coming through, and I should come back and see it. So I had worked all that evening, and about around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, I went out to, to the McCarran's airfield where I had it docked and uh, went in uh, and, and uh, jumped in it and flew down. And it was very hot in the summertime, and uh, 
I, I hadn't had a rest, and I felt sleepy, so I cracked the hatch open there a little bit to get some air in there to revive me. And when I got back, I decided I, it's not a good idea for me to try to fly this plane back. Hadn't had any rest. So I hired a pilot uh, at uh, 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 John Hall's uh, flying school there to fly me back. And he uh, he was a good pilot. He, he had been with uh, Slick Airlines, so he was a very good pilot and instructor there. And he took off, and uh, what he made a mistake of taking the was a cigarette smoker, and he took his ashtray out of his car and put it up over the cowling where the instruments were, and um, it had a magnet in it, and a magnet in the ashtray and a cigarette tray, and it threw our instruments off. So we thought we were on the Daggett Range going, flying into Vegas. Instead of that, we were going downhill in towards uh, um, uh, Laughlin. As a matter of fact, uh, that's exactly where we crashed, right where the uh, where the the uh, Riverside Laughlin Hotel is. Oh now. my! We cried. They built a hotel in honor of it. Another <laughs> tobacco-related accident. <laughs> the Riverside Hotel is the exact spot where I crashed. Oh But we uh, we survived. You know, we, we we I was in the Southern Pacific Hospital for oh a couple of weeks there, uh, getting patched up. And I wound up with three herniated discs of the spine, broken wrist and broken shoulder bone, and and two knees busted. But uh, I I lived. Here's Walden. Here is Cavalcade of America. Tonight, the DuPont Company brings you Flying Tigers Fly Again, starring George Murphy on the Cavalcade of America. But first, here is Gane Whitman. Would you consider using salt, sugar, honey, or kerosene to keep the radiator of your car from freezing? Of course not. But those materials were used in the early days of the automobile. However, salt caused corrosion. Sugar and honey stopped up the radiator, and kerosene was a fire hazard. In 1930, DuPont chemists, searching for a better antifreeze, began a program of continuous research and road testing. The result was DuPont Zerone antifreeze. Today, Zerone is the largest selling antifreeze in the country. It's another example of DuPont's better things for better living through chemistry. America, the Pony Express, the commercial airline, America, the football game, America means skyscrapers and haylofts, the crack of a pioneer's flintlock and the sound of a riveter's machine. America is your story. America is you and everyone you know. Tonight we present George Murphy in Flying Tigers Fly Again. Another true story on the DuPont Cavalcade of America. Trying to remember just when and where a thing started is a pretty tough job. I don't think anybody can point to a calendar and say, that's the date we first thought of it. Thought of what? Well, the Flying Tiger Airline. That's right, Flying Tigers. Sure, I was one of them. My name's Bob Prescott. Then there was a guy called Catfish, another guy named Link. The three of us in particular had an idea looping around in our heads. We always figured the war'd be over someday, and if we pulled out of it okay, we had to have a cushion to fall back on when we got back to the States. Anyway, one day back at our base in Loy Wing, China, in the ready shack. I raise it to you. 
should answer. Yeah. This is space calling Shark Red One. Come in. This is Shark Red One. Go ahead. He's okay. He's okay. Oh, all right. Chinese net reporting. Three bandits approaching from south. You get him, cowboy. I'm barefoot. Thanks, Pop. Will do. Well, uh, some people have all the luck. Yeah, what's luck got to do with it, Rossi? I never get a crack at three when I'm upstairs. But let Bob go out on patrol and every little son of Banzai is out for a ride. Listen, when you fly a hundred hours a month, it's not luck. It's work. In a hundred hours, you got to run into some of them. Hi, Link. Oh. Hi, Rossi. Hi, Catfish. Hello. Oh, I heard Bob's call. He answered, huh? Sure. Three bandits. He's after him. Uh, hey, what's eating you, Rossi? Try to fill an inside straight again last night? <laughs> that he did. Oh, you'll never learn. <laughs> His money looks so good in my pocket. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question, Link. Yeah, what? What are you saving your dough for? For tomorrow? Maybe. Maybe it'll never come. In this business, a guy's got to count on today. That's what I like about you, Rossi. No matter how dull things get, we can always count on you to bring in the sunshine and light. Come on, come on, answer the question. Why are you putting the dough in the sock? You know. The flying tiger line back in the States? Sure. Sure, he says, sure. Just like that. Well, what's wrong with the idea? Everything. For instance. It's a dumb idea, that's all. And they're like to carry freight. <laughs> Well, work, that's all. Why not? What are you, the DA? Go on, why won't it work? Works here in China. Catfish is right. We bury everything you can think of over the hump. Ah, that's different. Well, the run from New York to California wouldn't be any harder than the one from Kunming to Dinjan. Hey, here comes Bob. Yeah, come on. <laughs> He's rolling. Must have knocked off the bandits. Uh, some guys get all the luck. <laughs> I tell you what we'll do, Rossi. We'll put up a dirty shirt that within one year after the war is over, the flying tigers will fly again. You got yourself a bet. Okay. Yeah, and what's more, Rossi, you'll come in with us. Oh, yeah? Well, I got to be awful dumb to do it. Break out the drinks, boys. Hey, Bob, did you get them? How many? Just one this time. Photo recount job. He got his pictures, all right, but he'll have to show them to his honorable ancestors. <laughs> Break out the champagne, champagne. boys. Champagne? Hey, you kidding? Where's our treasure? Right here, getting cooled off. Ah, good old American beer. Kick it open and let's have a toast. Hurry up, catfish. Oh, Come on. I'm not opening this with my teeth, you know. Ah, there she is. Will you pour, Mr. Prescott? Ah, uh, that I will, catfish. That I will. Hey, you in on this, Rossi? <laughs> what am I, an outcast? <laughs> here you are. Here we go. To the end of the war. No, no. Here's to the Flying Tiger Airline, back in the States. I got a drink to that? Give me that beer. All right, all right. I'll drink to anything. To the Flying Tiger Airline and success. <laughs> kind of easy to toast something that was just a dream. Back in China, it looked pretty real. But the war ended, and most of us came back to the States. Rossi stayed over in China to ferry freight. Link, Catfish, and I kept our idea, but, well, every Friday night, we'd meet a little hamburger joint downtown. Say, you guys, it's 10.30, and if there's nothing else you want to order... All right, all right, all right. It's getting late. Oh, yeah. Want anything, Captain? Uh-uh. Nothing. Look, we're going to close up soon. Hey, Link. Huh? What's keeping them? You guys are keeping me. Hey, look, honey, we're waiting for a very important third party. That's what you said at 8.30. He'll be along in a minute. That's what you said at 9.30. Uh, now, look, if you don't want to order nothing, you can get it, a... Pull it, Hey, it's about time you ambled along. Yeah, where you been, Bob? I'm sorry, fellas, I couldn't help it. Uh, bring us some Joe, honey. What's Joe? Coffee, baby. Some like it hot? And some get it nine days old, too. Sure you can afford it? <laughs> What's the matter with her? Uh, she's been waiting too long. Yeah, like Link and me. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't help it, but I got good news. Oh, good news. What's uh, that? What's the matter with you two? You got faces like ceiling zero. Well, it's like this, Bob. Yeah, it's just that we've been sitting here figuring. Yeah, adding things up, so Yeah? You know. What did you get? A low score. Look, Bob, that airline was a cinch in China, but back here in the States, it's tough. Not enough old days. 
Maybe Rossi was right. We, we should have had a good time with it when we were earning it. Now, look, if you two sour pusses will shut up for a minute, I've got some news. Go ahead. Better be good. I lost my job. Swell. What did you say? I said swell. Now you can give all your time to being vice president in charge of operations. Catfish. Yeah? He said operations, didn't he? He said operations. That's what I thought he said. What operations? Oh, shut up a minute. Now, listen. We're going to get our big chance. Yeah, that's what you said last week. Now, I got a better memory. It was last month. Do I do the talking or do you guys? Go ahead. All right. Now, look. Would a fleet of 14 Conestogas convince you? 14? No, he said 40. When you dream, dream good. It's all we've got. One Conestoga costs $50,000. And we've only got 35000 uh, 14 would come to, let's see, 14 times 50 is... Now, uh... wait. You haven't heard the whole story. Oh, there's more? Sure there's more. I took an option on the whole 14. I can get them for $400,000. Yeah, but why take an option when we're only 365,000 short? Look, couldn't we take less than the 14? No, we couldn't take less. They wouldn't break up a lot. 14 or none. Well, so long, fellas. I'm going east. Thanks for the dream. Now, wait a minute. Sit down, Link. Look, there's another buyer who'll take four of them off our hands at 50 grand apiece. You know, the fog is closing in. I can't see it all now. What good is it going to do us if some other buyer wants four? Well, it means just this. We'll be buying ten of them for ourselves at $200,000. Oh. So simple. Sure it's simple, and I know we can do it. Look, we'll see businessmen, bankers. We'll get the money. How about it? Here's your coffee. Sports. Yeah, put it down, honey. That'll be 80 cents. Huh? 80 cents for three cups of coffee? There's a 50-cent charge for writing on the tablecloth. <laughs> What do you think will happen? I, I don't know. Now, look, look. All we got to do is convince him. That's all. Yeah, but how do we convince a guy to lend us that much money? I, I don't know. Say, why are we whispering? All right, gentlemen. Come in, please. Oh, thank you, Mr. Mosier. Oh, uh, I'm Bob Prescott. How do you do? And uh, this is Cat, uh, Mr. Rain and Link Laughlin. Glad to know you, gentlemen. How do you do, sir? Please sit down. Thank you. Now, uh, Mr. Mosier, we've got well, a little problem. Just a moment. I, uh... I got your letter, and when we talked over the phone, Mr. Prescott, I got the impression that you wanted to start an airline. That's right, Mr. Mosier. Uh, you see, the way we're set up, we'll only need about, uh, oh, about $250,000 to do the whole job. Now, if we could get a loan... Oh, I'm to... sorry, gentlemen. I, I wish there were some way I could help. Oh. But look, Mr. Mosier, you'd make a nice profit. Well, I'm not worried about that. It's, uh, well... Flying's a risky business. Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Mosier. Uh, uh, let me give you our records. Now, Catfrey, uh, that is Mr. Rains here, he crossed the hump 500 times. Well, quite a record. Edmund crossed it 350 times. And Bob here 300 times. Well, we can ferry freight. Well, sure, we know that flying business backwards if you'll just... Just a moment, uh, gentlemen, just a moment, please. Now, I don't doubt your experience or your ability, but that was during a war when necessity compelled you Excuse to... Excuse me, Mr. Mosier, but that's just the point. You see, we learned a lot. We learned every trick of stowing cargo in a plane the safest way. We learned how to save cargo weight. We packed delicate instruments, heavy machinery. We even took perishables over the hump. We know that we can make a go of this line if we can convince the people that air freight is practical, logical. Look, now, you don't have to convince me. I'm sold. You're sold? Uh, no, well, then wait, what are we wait, waiting wait. Pretty risky, but perhaps there's something we can do. But all you have is 35000 Yeah, that's right. But if the other boys in our outfit knew that we needed money... Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. If you could raise 125000 Maybe we could, Mr. Mosier. Maybe well, we could. in that case, I have several friends who happen to admire a couple of good old American qualities. One is initiative, the other is ability. You boys have got both. And I believe they make pretty good collateral for an investment. Meaning? When does your option on the Conestogas expire? The 22nd of this month. 22nd, huh? All right. Here's the proposition. We're listening. With flaps up. Quiet, quiet. Go ahead, Mr. Mosier. Well, if you can show me by, say, the 20th of the month that you can raise $125,000, i will try to get five of my friends to put up dollar for dollar. Well, that's, uh, that's good by us. Plenty good. You think you can do it? Mr. Mosier, out in China, we flew P-40s that sometimes had to be held together with bailing wire. Nobody thought of quitting. Everybody helped everybody else, and everybody carried his share of the load. And? And the guys are still the same. They won't let us down. Are you sure of it, Catfish? Uh, 10,000 short. Yeah, that's right, Bob. Still grand 
ten grand short of the mark and one day left. Now, wait a minute. Let's check it again. Maybe, just maybe we missed something. Missed ten grand? <laughs> Not a chance. Well, here's the lineup. Tom Hayward's in for 6000 uh-huh. Bill Bartling, ten, right? Mm, right. Hey, Cliff Grove puts in for 4000 15 from Duke Hedman. Joe Rosebird antied up 4000 And that's it. Almost the whole gang's in and we're still out on the limb for ten grand. Might as well be 50 Yeah. Well, we tried. Yeah, yeah come in. Mr. Prescott? Yeah, that's me. What have we got, kid? A uh, package for you, sir. Sign here. Package? Okay. There you are. Thanks. Package. Mm. Hey. Open it up. Hey, what the devil is this? A dirty shirt. What? Hey, is this one of your gags, catfish? What? At a time like this, who'd be pulling gags? Hey, hey, wait a second. There's a note sticking out of the pocket. See? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, holy smokes. Read this. What's, What's up? Well, wait a minute. Anybody remember Rossi? You remember yeah, old Sourpuss yeah, yeah. Rossi? What do you say? Well, get a load of this. Listen. Dear Skinflint, sorry I didn't get your first cable. Busy in Calcutta. Here with, however, one dirty shirt to pay off a bet. And you can count... Me in for anything up to 15,000. Wow. 15, Love and kid this Rossi. Oh, well, oh, let's do this, fellas. We're in business. Yahoo! You're listening to George Murphy as Bob Prescott in Flying Tigers Fly Again on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. Well, we got the money and then the planes, but we still didn't have the business. Oh, there were a few jobs like flying Elsie the Borden cow and Hirohito's horse around the country and stuff like that. But the big stuff that would really set us up didn't come. That is, not until one day when Link and Bill Bartling were tuning up one of the Conestogas. Sounds sweet, Bart. Ought to pass a CAA inspection without a blush. Rub up again. What's the matter, Bob? Where's Bart? He's in the plane. Hey, Bart. Bart! Yeah? Cut the motor and come on down. Okay. Well, what's up, Bob? Wait till Bart comes down. Hey, you sound pretty excited. We're getting our first break. Big break. What do you want, Bob? Listen. I went to see Bob Smith this morning. Yeah? How did you make out? Well, I got an order to take a load of flowers to Detroit from Los Angeles here. One load? Well, it's a start. And if we deliver, we're in. This will prove to shippers that we can get their stuff out fast. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Flowers are perishable. Sure, I know it. These jobs aren't refrigerated. Okay, so they're not refrigerated. It's the fall of the year, isn't it? It's cool upstairs. Fly as high as you can. It'll be okay. If we can make this one, we'll be able to buy refrigeration. Yeah, that's good. Okay, when do we start? Is this job ready to take off? Sweet as a dream. Yeah, but one load's not going to pay for the trip. Bart, you and Link make the flight. When you get to Detroit, go and see somebody, I don't care who, and get a return load back here to L.A. Yeah, but see who? Ha, <laughs> ha, that'll be your job in Detroit. Look, get furniture, bicycle, tires, bagpipes, anything, but get loaded. Now, that, get that load of flowers in Detroit in good shape, and we've gone a long way towards convincing people that air freight is the thing. Are you all set? Get going. Link and Bart got the flower to Detroit okay. And they got a load of furniture to fly back to Los Angeles. Then it happened. Link and Bart were taking off from the Detroit field. 566 to tower. Ready for clearance and takeoff. Over. Power to 566. ATC clears you to Chicago at 10,000. On red airway one. Contact Chicago Radio before letdown. Cleared for takeoff. Over. Roger. 566 out. Okay, Bart. We're off. Mixture Ridge. Mixture Ridge. Gear up. Gear up. Laps up. Laps up. Hey, Link. Our right engine's smoking. Feather right prop. Gas off. Switch off. Switch off. She's blazing, Link. I think the wing tank's caught. We haven't enough altitude. I'm going to try a belly landing. Hang on. We stop here.
Okay, Link? Okay. We've got to get that furniture out. Come on, let's get going. Flying Tiger Line. Prescott speaking. Hello, Bob. Link. Hiya, Link. How'd it go? Swell, swell. You got our wire? Sure. I took it right over to Smith. He did nip-ups when I told him he got the flowers to Detroit as fresh as when they left here. Good. Now, uh, hold on to your chair. Huh? What's the matter? Bad news? Mm, a little of both. We got a return load of furniture. Swell, that's great. Only, uh, we can't get it to L.A. Why not? Right engine caught fire. Belly landing outside the field here. Uh-oh. Uh, you and Bart okay? Sure, sure. And so is the furniture. We got it out. Not a piece scratched. But, uh, we haven't got a plane to get it to L.A. Uh, Link, how soon did you guarantee delivery? Tomorrow. Can't be done. Yes, it can. Look, Link, now listen. Charter a plane and fly it out here right away. Are you crazy? That'd eat up everything we made on the load of flowers. That's okay. Charter a plane. You guarantee delivery of that furniture to L.A., we're going to make good. Yeah, but Bob... It's okay, Link. It's okay. Things are looking up. Well, if you were here, my friend, I'd show you a nice fat contract with the Fruit Growers Association. One load a week from Los Angeles to New York. What? Then, then we did it. We sure did, Link. Now, look, charter that, that plane like I told you, deliver the furniture, and we'll break open a bottle of beer. The Flying Tiger Line was going places, or looked like it. We had the fruit contract fly one load a week from Los Angeles to New York. But payloads both ways were needed. We didn't have them. Then one night, Catfish and I were in New York after delivering a load. Oh, come on, Bob. Snap out of it. It's New Year's Eve. Let's go up to Times Square. Watch a crowd. Oh, you go ahead, Catfish. I want to stick around here and wait for that call. Mm. Taylor? Yeah, he promised me a decision on that contract today. Hey, look. It's 10 at night. He said he'd call you at noon. He didn't. You know what that means. Well, he, he might have got tied up. Not a chance. The amalgamated garment manufacturers just don't want to ship their stuff by air freight. That's why he hasn't called. Oh, but I worked for two weeks on this contract. Sure, and for two weeks we've been sitting here in New York. I say take any load and let's get back to L.A. Sure, it'd be great if we could get a load of dresses to match the load of fruit, but, well, it just isn't working out that way. Now, forget it. Let's go up to Times Square. Come in. Maybe you're right, Catfish. Can you tell me where I may find Mr. Prescott of the Flying Tiger Line? I'm Bob Prescott. Oh, I'm Captain Hans Jorgensen of the Sphinker. My, my ship is in Los Angeles. Mr. Prescott, you, you see before you are a desperate man. You've got to help me. Well, what can I do for you, Captain Jorgensen? I came here to New York to, to replace the gyro compass for my vessel. Well, I still don't the see Sphinker what... The Sphinker is loaded with food and medicine for the starving people of the East. She must sail, Mr. Prescott. But she, she cannot without a new gyro. Oh, oh I see. You mean you're stranded here in New York? I myself could get to Los Angeles, but the, the gyro weighs hundreds of pounds. For ten days, I've been trying to get it to the West Coast. No, I, I'm desperate. What do you say, Catfish? Well, I say let's do it. It's not a payload, but we'd be doing a good turn. Can you be ready in an hour, Captain? Thank you, Mr. Prescott. Thank you. Well, we took Captain Jorgensen to Los Angeles. We thought it was just one of those things until the next day. Bob, look. Look at this right up in the paper. Look. Hey, see Captain flown to ship. Flying Tiger Airline. Hey, it's about us. Yeah, we do a favor for one guy, and the next day we're spread all over the papers. What do you know? The whole story of the airline, the syndicated column. That means we're spread all over the state. Sure, sure, but Flying Tigers, Bob Prescott here. This is Link. Got into New York okay last night. Weather okay? Yeah, a little storm. Nothing much. Well, what else? Oh, just wanted to hear your voice, Angel Faith. Hey, look, you didn't call me up to tell me that you got in okay. Now, what's up? Uh, a man named uh, Baylor called me when I got in. Baylor? Baylor? Amalgamated? Yeah, that's the fella. Link, I'll break your head open if you don't talk. What did he say? <laughs> well, you read the papers. Saw that story on it. Stop running up the phone, Bill. What about Baylor? Oh, a uh, little matter of flying dresses to California, 52-week contract, and listen, a daily plane. Yeah. 
all there is to the story of the Flying Eight Tiger Airline. Later on, one night, a bunch of us were kind of getting together to celebrate. You know, like we used to out in China. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold, hold it, it, hold it, guys. Hold it. A few years ago, we used to toast anybody who knocked off a zero. You bet. Well, we can't do that anymore, but we can toast something else. So break out the bottle of beer. All right, come on. Yeah. A long time ago, we drank to... The Flying Tiger Line. And here we go again. Up, glass. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Hold it. You guys are forgetting something. What are we forgetting? This toast. Here's to what made the Flying Tiger Airline possible. Here's to what gave us our chance to show what we could do. Fellas, here's to the real backer of the Flying Tiger Airline. America. In a moment, our star, George Murphy, will return. But first, here is Gain Whitman speaking for DuPont. The first snow, like white powder on the ground, makes you want to get out into the open. The trees are bare. You can see the sky between their branches. A winter sky with a pearly sun. Where snow doesn't crunch under your feet, fragrant leaves rustle. There are rabbit tracks that lead across the fields. And the tracery of a cock pheasant's walk along an old stone wall. Where you may see the cat-like prints of a red fox, and the faint drag of his brush in the snow, and then the shrill protests of a jay dressed in the blue of summer skies to remind you winter doesn't last forever. People who live in parts of the country where it snows think their winter is the most beautiful, but people who live down by the Gulf like their winter too. And no one needs to remind you what folks in California think of their winters. Perhaps it's just that each of us loves his own part of America a little more than any other part, and loves it winter as well as summer. Hunters feel that way about being out of doors. A gun gives them an excuse to get out into the open, get the feel of the country in the oldest, best way, actually feel it underfoot, feel it in the tingle of a cold breeze against their cheeks. The Remington Arms Company, associated with the DuPont Company, has manufactured sporting rifles and shotguns for generations of American boys and men, the DuPont powders, loaded into Remington and Peters cartridges and shells, are products of DuPont chemistry. In these days of industrial chemistry, the DuPont company manufactures many thousands of chemical compounds. But DuPont started business as a powder company 140-odd years ago. And an invisible but nonetheless important ingredient of Remington and Peters ammunition is the know-how which, under our American competitive system, manufactures and distributes constantly improved products. The know-how which enters into all of the DuPont Company's better things for better living through chemistry. American hunters add 250 million pounds of dressed wild game to the nation's meat supply every year. 70 million pounds of big game alone. If you'd like to know how to prepare venison, duck, partridge, pheasant, and other game for your table... The Remington Arms Company publishes a booklet, How to Dress, Ship, and Cook Wild Game. For a copy of this 48-page book, enclose a dime for mailing and handling, and send your name and address to Radio Section, DuPont Company, Wilmington, Delaware. And now our star, George Murphy. Thank you, Gain. Not only did I enjoy playing the part of Bob Prescott on Cavalcade tonight, but I have the additional pleasure of introducing the former Flying Tiger himself. Ladies and gentlemen, the founder and president of the Flying Tiger line, Bob Prescott. Thanks, George. <clears throat> For myself and my fellow Flying Tigers, I'd like to express our appreciation to the Cavalcade of America and you for doing so well by us. You know, it has been said that our story brings out how veterans can convert the wartime know-how they picked up into useful peacetime practices, all to the good. But for me, I'd like to say in all honesty and with conviction that our enterprise stands for something bigger. As a flyer, I've seen a lot of our world, all sorts of countries. And when I think how we were able to turn what was just an idea into a big airline operation, 
But I feel good about this USA we fought for. Because without pulling any punches and laying it right on the line, where else on earth today could a man get the opportunity and freedom to make a dream like ours pay off? Except right here. You can count on me as one who is grateful and proud of this country. I always will be. Thank you. Next week, the DuPont Cavalcade brings you Robert Young in An Honorable Titan. It's the story of a man in whose honor Times Square was named. The story of a little Tennessee newsboy who rose to become one of the greatest and most honored publishers in the world. It was a long and difficult fight for Adolf Ox, publisher of the New York Times, but by hard work, uncompromising principles, and unswerving faith, he built to greatness the paper whose masthead bears the famous slogan, All the News That's Fit to Print. Be sure and listen next Monday to An Honorable Titan, starring Robert Young. The music for tonight's DuPont Cavalcade was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. Our Cavalcade play was written by Daisy Amory. Featured in the cast with George Murphy tonight were William Johnstone as Link and Jerry Hausner as Catfish. This is John Easton inviting you to listen next week to Robert Young in... An Honorable Titan on the Cavalcade of America, brought to you by the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. The Cavalcade of America came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Here's Walden. That was Cavalcade of America. I'm Ron Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA. If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com. His studio telephone number is 714-545-2071. And his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg, and thanks for the memories, Walden. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you so much. Yesterday, USA Superstation. Well, here we are, everybody, on the tail end of uh, tape number seven for the two week beard that began on April 23rd. Bill Bragg. Uh, with a special thank you to Rudy Stark and to uh, our man about town, Walden Hughes. Don't forget Walden's big live broadcast Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night here on Yesterday USA. Let me say thank you real quickly to some of our supporters, Bruce Forsberg, Tony Fournier, Misty in Amarillo, Karen in New York, Albert in Santa Clara, California, and uh, moving along here to uh, John out in uh, Macon, Georgia. And uh, still others here. Will Defoe. My goodness, Will is up there in Auburn. And uh, he is such a good supporter of Yesterday USA. $240 plus $120. Wow, added up. Is that amazing or what? Leonard Ellenberg of Dallas. He's no slouch either. A $60 contribution. And a $60 contribution from Richard Morris in Lake Elsinore, California. God bless you and thank you. Come to the website, yesterdayusa.com. In the bottom lower left-hand corner, uh, third, uh, uh, third link over, how to donate. Use it. Help us out. We're depending on you. And now, sit back, relax, and remember, thanks to those generous people who are supporting Yesterday USA.